Lord, thank you for who you are. We just sang about how strong you are. We just talked about in, 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 in lyric, um, just these ideas of how great you are. Um, thank you. Thank you for giving us minds to even consider that there is a God and that you love us. So Lord, I ask that you stand in my shoes, that you give me your thoughts and you speak with my mouth so that this message is not my message for them, but your message for us. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear and hearts to receive it. And Lord, we ask not only that you be blessed by our worship, but that you bless us in return to the proclamation of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, some background on Ephesians. Those of you who, are, who haven't been uh, joining us the last couple of weeks, just a couple of things. Uh, Ephesians, is a, is, it's a circular letter. It was, not written sp- it was written specifically for the church in Ephesus, but it was meant to be circulated to all churches, and it still is, still going around today. Um, and it talks a lot about the unity of the body of Christ. It talks a lot about growing up and being mature in Christ. And then it talks a lot about being pure in Christ. And then it talks about wisdom. And right here at the end, it reminds us again that the mind is the place where transformation takes place. Salvation happens in the mind. Transformation happens in the mind. It, it, Paul often tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He tells us time and time and time again, it's how we think that matters. It's not that the behaviors don't, but very few of us walk into a sinful behavior without first considering it. And we know through Paul's work here in, 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 uh, in Ephesians 6 and elsewhere, and even Jesus in his interactions with people, which we'll talk about a little bit today, um, that the enemy of God... His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that first by whispering thoughts in our heads, by, by giving us idea or accusing us of how, how far short we fall. Um, so Paul's intent is that we understand that we're in a perpetual and ongoing battle. There's a battle going on for our soul and it takes place in our mind. There's an old illustration that talks about you have a wolf living in you and that wolf seeking her and it's a predator. It wants to devour, it wants to destroy, it wants to just eat and consume. And you have a dove which symbolizes peace and the Holy Spirit of God and those two animals are fighting for you in your mind. Who's gonna win? It's not the wolf. The one who wins is the one you feed. You feed the one, you starve the other. You starve the one, you feed the other. That's how it works. Paul, when he's talking about put on the full armor of God, he's talking about that our, our, uh, our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. That's what he, he's talking to us about the enemy, the deceiver, the accuser, and his minions, and how we are to stand our ground against him. So we're gonna talk about that, but just so that you know that it's not just Ephesians and it's not just Trent saying it's all about, it's all in the mind first, I want to read from you the, from the book of Romans, just a couple of verses that are not on the screen, but it says this, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life. So it's clear throughout all of scripture. In fact, next time you read through the whole Bible, look and see that God, yes, he judges behavior, but our behaviors come from what's happening in our minds. So before we get to it, and there's a reason, there's a connection here, 
Before we get to Ephesians 6, I want to talk to you about some stories that Jesus, the way Jesus interacted with two different people in Luke, at the end of Luke 18, the beginning of Luke 19. And so the one story, they're very familiar to you, almost certainly, if you grew up in the church, uh, Timaeus's boy, Bartimaeus, means son of Timaeus, uh, he's, he's blind Bartimaeus, is how you might know him, and then Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree. And I want you to, I'm going to show you that they're very two, very similar men, but there's something different in their stories. Now, read, they read like this, they're not on the screen, but they're just stories. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But those who led the way, those who were kind of in the front of the pack, I think of the, when the presidential motorcade is going by, the, guys, the cops on the motorcycles that kind of headed out, they're kind of to, to, to make sure that that, that that first line of defense, these people, self-appointed, I'm sure, are trying to keep people away from Jesus because he has an important place to be. And so those that led the way rebuked Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, well, well Lord, I want, my, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And here's the key. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, half an hour to an hour and a half later, I've been to Jericho. I've been on this, on what they believe is that road. We don't know what sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed up. We don't know exactly where blind Bartimaeus was sitting, but we have a pretty good idea of where he would locate himself if there's a crowd coming by. So half an hour to an hour and a half later, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted, to see, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? You see the difference? Both these men find out about Jesus. Bartimaeus can't see him, but he can call out to him. He calls out, he has an encounter with Jesus, and he obeys Jesus. Jesus says, receive your sight, he received it, and then he, and then he followed Jesus and he praised God. And all the people that saw it praised God as well. But in Zacchaeus, he, he hears about Jesus, he wants to see Jesus, and he pursues Jesus, just like Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus did it with voice. Zacchaeus, he had to run out ahead uh, to get up so that when Jesus came by, he could see him. Jesus, he has an encounter with Jesus. He comes down as Jesus told him to. Uh, he's obedient to Jesus. There's a transformation that takes place. And then all the people mutter and question God's love for this sinner. Just like then, now, there are classes of people that it seems like it's okay for Christians to hate. And that's bothersome. We see all through scripture that when someone is infirmed, not all, but most, that they're infirmed, if they're, if they're deaf, if they're mute, if they're blind, if they're demon-possessed, if, uh, if they're an invalid, if they're paralyzed, when Jesus heals them, People are amazed and they praise God. 
But when he's in the presence of, and it's always in quotes, there's a class of people in that culture called sinners. When he's in the presence of sinners, they judge God. So I'm asking, who is it today that Christians feel like it's okay to hate? Or who is it today that it seems like we, wanted, we, we think God, God doesn't love them? Now, no one would say it. Last week, I asked most of you that were here and those of you that were online, I asked, have you ever been in a situation of late when you're, you're discussing uh, whatever's going on in the world and you're kind of communicating to someone why, why you do or why you do not wear a mask, when you do and when you do not wear a mask, wh who, which scientists you believe and which ones you don't, which politicians you're for, which ones you're not, and, and you knew while you're speaking that the person is judging you and you have to decide whether to judge them in return or not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip that on you today and ask you this question before we read Ephesians 6. Are there people that you're not choosing to, to, you're not deciding whether to judge because you're being judged, but you're just deciding to judge? It's not an accusation, but if our mind is the mind of Christ, how we see other people should be how Jesus sees other people. See, Jesus loved Zacchaeus and he loved Bartimaeus. And he loved the prostitutes. And he loved the infirmed. And he loved the demoniacs. And he loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And yes, God has wrath. And yes, God is judge. And God is merciful. And God is love. But all, even the wrath and even the judgment is motivated by God's love for his people, of which you are one. And so are the people that sometimes we judge. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 and following, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces uh, of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, and once again, stand firm. Stand firm then with the, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows or the fiery darts, depending on which, which version you read, of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then he finishes up this little section of scripture asking for prayers for himself. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I find it curious that Paul, who's imprisoned only because he loves Jesus, is asking the people of Ephesus and all of us to pray for him so that he cannot hate his captors, hate his guards, but instead transform them with the voice that God gives him to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul went so far as to say, 
when he was on trial, you think that you're going to convince me to be a Christian? He goes, I'll talk all day if that's what it takes. If one person, he was willing, he even said, he kind of bargained with God and said, I will give up my own salvation if more and more of my Jewish brothers and sisters will find salvation in Christ. That's a man motivated by the spirit of the living God. That is a man motivated by the love that God has for others, not just his judgment against them. It tells us here to always, to be praying the spirit continually. Someone asked me, who wasn't able to come uh, here this morning, asked me yesterday, well, I hope that you explain verse 18, the, the pray in the spirit. And so I, I did that on text, but just a clarifier, because I think it sets the tone as we look back to this armor of God. To pray in the spirit. Now, look, the charismatic, which traditionally the charismatics are, are kind of uh, Pentecostal Catholics. And then you have Pentecostals, which are um, uh, Protestant charismatics. Um, full gospel, people that believe in all the gifts and practice all the gifts. You might hear, if you go to a Pentecostal or charismatic church, you might hear people uh, prophesying. You might hear people speaking in tongues. And all of those things are legitimate and real gifts that God gives to his people to edify the church, build them up, and point people to God. But some would say that praying in the spirit only means using a prayer language, an individual prayer language that's a gift from God. And we get that from scripture where it talks about um, it talks about when we don't know what to pray, the spirit himself cries out on our behalf. And that, that spiritual language is the spirit praying on our behalf. I get it. And I'm not, I'm not condemning that. I'm not poo-pooing that, not, nothing. But that's not all that praying in the spirit is. We, we see right here where it says that take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If the sword of the spirit is the word of God, then praying in the spirit is using the sword. It's actually praying scripture or praying anything that agrees with scripture. See, the whole call for our minds is to put ourselves under the, the, the authority of God and to do what comes supernatural to us, but natural to God, instead of always giving our mind over to doing what comes natural to us, which is unnatural to God. See, if you do what comes natural to you all the time, if you only think, you never have to battle anything because the wolf just win, wins. I was talking last night to Lynn uh, after the, the Saturday night service. I'm like, it kind of bugs me that Christians seem to be the only people in the world that actually have to be in a perpetual battle. I have to decide which I'm going to feed. Am I going to feed the, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Or am I going to feed the dove, the, one, the, the still quiet voice of God? Am I going to tune in and listen to what he wants? And when I pray, am I going to pray back something Pastor Greg does just remarkably well? He did it this morning when, when worship assisting in the earlier service. He prays scripture. Why? Because we know that scripture agrees with God because God's the author of it. So sometimes when we pray, it says to do a continuum, but sometimes when we pray, if we don't know what to pray with the world and the chaos that's going around and the, 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 the pandemic that seems to be everywhere and that's all anyone talks about and there's fear and there's rage and there's accusation and there's, there, it, it's just awful. How do we know what to pray? Lord, take down my enemy. No. God, you're sovereign and your people know it. Bring us peace. Give us confidence. Help us put on the armor. And one of the things about the armor, some will say that you, it's a literal, today I'm going to buckle on the belt of truth and I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to tie up my, the, 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 the shoes, the sandals that come from the, from the gospel of truth and helmet of salvation and shield of faith. And I'm not mocking. 
That's a good practice to go through, but please keep in mind one thing. No soldier back then put on his own armor. If you've ever seen, and this is a little later in the years, but if you've ever seen a knight, they have a sage, and the job of the sage is to tend to the needs of the knight. You might see it in old British, British shows too, they have a, what they call a valet, someone who helps the man, the gentleman get dressed. You put on chainmail, it's heavy, you're not gonna get in it, and you certainly can't buckle it up behind you. You put on your breastplate, it needs to be strapped to you. You might put on that which girds your loins, you might put on the belt of truth, and you might be able to put your own helmet on, but someone hands you your shield and you take it up. And by the way, those shields were either wooden or metal, and they were, they were um, wrapped in leather, and they were soaked overnight before a battle in water. So that when those flaming arrows came, they would dip it in pitch or tar, and they would light them on fire, and they would send them up, and when the, when the warriors put up that that, that wall, that shield wall, it would hit that leather and that, that, that water, that soaked up leather would just go. Pssst. The breastplate of righteousness, what is righteousness? Faithfulness to God. And you know that you do not have righteousness of your own accord, that you're not righteous because you're righteous. You're righteous because God in Christ put his righteousness on you. So when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're putting on the righteousness of Jesus. He puts it on you. Your salvation is a gift from and of God. You didn't do anything. If it were up to, if it were up to you and your merit and your, good, and your good deeds, we're all doomed. So he puts salvation on you. Even the, the gospel of truth that keeps you from having to walk on rocks and clay and glass and all that kind of stuff without being destroyed, he puts that on you. He is the gospel. He is the good news. And the belt of truth, what is truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the scripture is the truth. So it's all God. So what he's saying when we put on our armor, it's align yourself with God. Think the thoughts of God and pray the scripture or pray anything you know that agrees with God. Why? So that you stand firm. There are three commands in this whole segment. Be strong, put on, stand firm. A couple of things about the armor. Breastplate covers your vitals. Belt of truth, there's little flaps that are in front. Covers the vulnerable bits. Helmet, obviously, the head and the mind. The shield, attacks, the sword. It's the only offensive weapon. It's the only thing we have. The truth of scripture, the truth of Jesus. It's the only thing that pierces bone and marrow, that pierces hearts and transforms minds. The truth of Jesus Christ. But you know what, what's missing? What covers the back? Nothing. Soldiers used to train with a partner called a paraclete. The paraclete's job was to cover the six, to cover the back. They actually tied a strap around uh, when they were training, the, the tie that binds, and they would leather strap nine to 12 feet long, and they would train, and as they're training to, to block and, to, and, to, and to thrust, the other, when this guy would go like this and his back would turn, his paraclete would cover his back. They always knew, they, they trained together very well to cover one another's vulnerabilities. Well, paraclete, 
is a name that we have for the Holy Spirit of God. And he's got your back. Another role of a paraclete, we see Jesus being a paraclete in John 9 when a man was born blind and Jesus gave him back his sight. And then the, the, the seminary professor types, nothing against them, but back then that's what they were, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, uh, pastor types maybe. And, and they started accusing the man. They're like, who, who sinned that you were even born blind? What? He's got his sight back and now we're trying to figure out why he was blind to begin with. And this goes on for a chapter or two. And then they finally, this man comes and he's face to face with Jesus again and they're all hurling accusations and Jesus stands between him and the accusers and turns the accusation back on them. He's a good defense attorney. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. When the accuser is telling you that you fall too, too short, that you sin that way too many times, that God can't possibly love you because you're just a great big disappointment. The Holy Spirit of God is gonna cover that vulnerability and he's gonna turn the accusations from the accuser back on the accuser and tell him who he is and he's gonna send it back to hell where he belongs. And we need to agree with God when the accuser is telling us that we don't measure up. We don't, but Christ does. And I have the righteousness of Christ put on me. I have the shield of faith that has been given me. I have the helmet of salvation. I have the belt of truth and doggone it, you're not stopping the, the, the proclamation of the spirit of God, which is or the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The enemy of God cannot take any territory from you that you don't give up. The third role of a paraclete is simple. It's a personal trainer or an encourager. My sister-in-law, Cindy, ran the Boston Marathon years ago. She, she trained, but she had a little injury in her foot. She would never, ever ran 26.2 miles. And she went to the Boston Marathon and, and she raised a bunch of money. And if you completed half the race, the money that you raised went to the charities. Her family was sitting on the side of the road at half the race, she knew, halfway through, she knew that. And so she hit the wall. And she decided, I'm done. A couple miles out, when I see my family, I'm just gonna step out of the race. We're gonna go home. I'm gonna tend to the blisters on my feet and maybe have to pull a toenail off. But two miles before, so right after she had that thought, her friend Elizabeth, who's a local, she actually has some national celebrity in her, but um, local celebrity at the time, was a big long distance runner, had a guest pass. And she knew Cindy hadn't had a chance to train because they're dear friends. She stepped into the race, gave her a sports drink, put her hands behind her back, and didn't touch her. But she said, Cindy, if you make it through the next two miles, you'll finish the race. If you break through the wall, you'll finish the race. And Cindy, for the first time in her life, finished a marathon, never stopping, running the whole way because she had her paraclete with her. She was able to do more with her paraclete than she was able to do alone. And you will be more the man or more the woman of God that God wants you to be because the Holy Spirit of God is covering your back. He's defending you. And he's encouraging you. So choose. Are you gonna do what comes natural and just give in to the wolf? Agree with the enemy with rage and accusation, uncertainty and judgment? Or are you gonna come under the umbrella of the protection of God, agreeing with God, cooperating with God and seeing other people with the eyes of God? See, to go back to those first couple of stories, there's a class of people that they question God for loving. And we've got that now. And I don't know which way you go on it, but we all do. 
whether it be the president or the governor, whether it be the speaker of the house or the majority leader in the Senate, whether it be when you look at them, the, the um, democratic socialists or the right-wing neo-Nazis, or whether it be anyone in between, we can't believe, not here, but here, we can't believe that God actually loves them. When we do that, we are participating with the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Because God loves that person. Paul tells us that our, we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. No person is my enemy. They may see me as theirs, but what am I supposed to do with my enemies? Love them. What am I supposed to do to those who persecute me? Pray for them. When someone does evil to me, what am I supposed to do? If I have the mind of Christ, if I'm in agreement with, if I'm praying in the spirit for someone else, do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I'm supposed to go the extra mile. We know all those, and they're almost, they're so common, they're almost cliche. But Paul's not kidding. Jesus isn't kidding. We should celebrate anytime, every time, someone even asks a question about God because no one seeks God according to Romans. So the only people that are even asking spiritual things are the things that are, are people that God is drawing to himself. And if you get to be in a spot where someone's questioning you, this is beautiful. You are the territory that God does not want you to lose. He did, see, none of this says go out there and, 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 and push through. There are those that God calls to do that, but he says stand firm. Why? Because you are the holy ground. You are the territory. Where does the spirit of God reside? In you. You are his prize. You are who God wants to hold ground. You are the ground. He doesn't want you to give it up. He wants you to stand firm, not in how much can I stab and how much can I harm, but I will not be moved. I will not be harmed and I will not participate with the enemy in how he treats me. I'm not gonna treat others the way he treats me. It's not gonna happen. That's God's call for Christians, especially today. Now, normally I would end the, 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 the service with this, but I, I, it seems right right now. Go back to those first two stories, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus. Bartimaeus has been a Christian following Jesus for half an hour to an hour and a half. Imagine what he thinks when he comes in and here's another guy that Jesus has an interaction with and everyone's like, how could he love someone like that? What does that just tell Bartimaeus about what Christians are, how Christians are? See, people are watching. They may not like what they see and they may not want you to be who you are. They want you to fail. They want you to be judgmental and angry and accusatory. They want you to choose a side and say that God only loves these people. Don't do it. Because what happens when they see confidence and calm and peace? What happens when those who are full of rage look at you and you go, oh, I love you. God loves you dearly. He ministers to you deeply. And he promises peace that transcends understanding to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And you can either argue with him on it or agree with him on it. We talked last week about Francis Chan, that when he says, 
when he reads scripture and he comes across something he doesn't like or he doesn't agree with, he assumes he's wrong, not God. Can we all do the same? It is really hard to love someone who wants harm to come to you. But that's exactly what Jesus did with me. It's exactly what he did with you. He loves you even when you're still sinners. And he wants those who are no longer sinners to love those who still are. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Be strong. Put on the armor. That's agreeing with God. Staying in God. And be, stand, stand firm. Let's pray. Lord, heal our land and use your people as a beacon of light, as a calm sea, as a safe harbor, as a breakwater, so that people, when they see Christians, they see peace. And Lord, remind us not to cooperate with your enemy and not to hate those who seem to be cooperating with him. Lord, we want to help the enemy. We want to be used by you. So help us stand firm. In Jesus' name, for your glory, we pray. Amen.